Uh, good morning. It is um, Sunday, uh, January 26th. Oh my God. January 26th. Uh, we're in Coronado, California. So uh, today we're going to read two famous verses from the Bhagavatam. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. So, uh, the first verse, Nadiad Vachas. Oh, this is a Srimad Bhagavatam, first canto, chapter 5, text 10. Nadiad Vachas, Chitrapadam, Harer, Jasho, Jagat Pavitram, Pragranita, Karichit, Tadvaya Santirtam, Ushanti Manasa. Nayatra hangsa niramanti shikshaya. So, this verse begins talking about vachas, speech, language, uh, which is chitrapadam. It's beautiful words, colorful words. Excellent composition. So, nad yadvachas chitrapadam, but that speech, that language, although it's colorful and uh, well composed and all that, harer jasho na harer jasho jagat pavitrang pragranita karichit, it never praises, it never glorifies, it never presents the Lord's glories. The glories of the Lord. So you could say, well, so what? Well, the so what here is that the glories of Krishna, Harir Jasho, the Lord's glory, is Jagat Pavitram. It purifies the universe. Uh, simply because the impurity of the universe, the contamination of the universe, is our ignorant envy of or uh, neglecting of uh, the source of our own existence, Krishna. we are part of God. Krishna explains this in Bhagavad Gita. Uh, he says, Mamaivangsa, Jiva Loke, Jiva Bhuta. In this world of life, in this living world, the living being, literally what Krishna says, in the living world, the living being is part of me alone. Of course, we naturally identify ourselves as part of our families, our communities, countries, cultural societies. We may feel we are part of political movements, all kinds of things. 
but Krishna says, actually, you are really part of God. That's ultimately what you are part of. So, pavitram, uh, jagat pavitram, that which purifies the world, uh, is to restore this understanding. So, to be impure is to neglect, ignore who we really are. You can't really understand yourself and not understand God because you're part of God. For example, if I say politically, I'm an American, if I don't know what America is, then how can I understand what an American is? So I'm a soul, I can say I'm a person, I'm a soul, but I'm part of Krishna, of God. So if I don't know what God is, I cannot understand who I am. If I don't understand who I am, I'm not going to behave appropriately, naturally, and without that higher understanding of God, we tend to act selfishly, all kinds of problems arise. And so uh, life becomes very impure. And when life becomes impure, it becomes miserable. For example, if you have an impurity in your body, a serious impurity, well, that's called disease. That's called disease. And so you can't be happy if your body is all sick and diseased. And so if your soul, if, if bodily illness is so uncomfortable and unpleasant, imagine when your soul is sick. And so, uh, you know, we have a problem. The world has a problem, serious problem. And therefore, uh, the Lord's glory is very important because jagat pavitram, it will purify the world. Therefore, a literature, even if it's well composed from a literary point of view, uh, if it never, na karhichit means never, if it never praises or acknowledges the Lord's glory, then the Bhagavatam says, tadvayasantirtam, that is a crow's pilgrimage. The crow is not perhaps the most elegant bird on this planet. It, it makes a sound, ka. In fact, uh, the word for crow in Sanskrit is sort of onomatopoeic. It sounds like a crow. The word for crow is kaka, which literally means one who goes ka, ka. So that's the word for crow in Sanskrit. And... Uh, here another word for crow, vayasam of crows. So vayasam tirtam, it's a pilgrimage for crows. A pilgrimage is where you go to benefit yourself, to elevate yourself. And so a, a crow's pilgrimage means they, you know, they tend to feed off filthy things. They are uh, scavengers. And uh, so you don't want to hang out with crows. It's not a great place to be. And yet this literature, even so-called great literature, very beautifully composed, is called a crow's pilgrimage if it does not glorify the Lord. And to be balanced here, even from the material point of view, if you have literature 
which is very well composed, has lots of beautiful words, but there's no real message. There's no powerful moral message that can elevate us, that can improve our lives, a message that addresses our problems, then that literature does not usually pass the test of time. Everything gets filtered by time and only the what society considers to be the really the best stuff survives that historical filter and generally if you study the history of literature you'll find that books which are written with real skill but don't give any powerful message don't really teach us something that will make us better people generally those books don't survive so tadvayasang tirtam ushanti manasa so manasa, the word manas means mind, man, the verb man means to think, and manas means mind, and manasa means people who are not mindless, people that have minds, people that think. They're called manasa. So, and then ushanti. Ushanti is, uh, anyway, I won't go into all the grammar of it, but it means to praise or to uh, approve of. Um, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting word because it's going that same word is going to come out come up in the next line also in an interesting way. That's why I'm sort of stopping for a moment. It can mean uh, to be fond of something, to like something, uh, and so on. To uh, affirm it so. Those who are um, actually, it says hung sa. Here we have the crow swan contrast, which Prabhupada, of course, used a lot. That crows have their places where they go and their food, and swans are different. Swans you generally find in very beautiful places, in lakes and ponds, and the crows in filthy places. So. So that Tirtha, that Tirtha, that sort of a holy place for crows where they go to get what they want. Nayatra, but not there, the Hungsas, the swans do not stop there. They do not hang out in those places. They don't enjoy such places. Nayatra Hungsa Niramanti. Because the swan-like people, those who appreciate real beauty, they're Ushikshaya. Uh, they have their kshaya, their home, their home is in a very beautiful, pleasing place. And and the word ushik, uh, ushik, kshaya, kshaya means um, home. Ushik is from the same root as ushanti, ushanti, ushik. They're actually from the same root. So uh, thoughtful people, people that have minds, uh, do not approve of, do not find beauty in this pilgrimage of crows, uh, literature which doesn't glorify the Lord, but they find beauty in where, where it actually exists, uh, which and we'll find that out in the next verse, where real beauty exists, what is the real home for thoughtful people. So uh, having rejected mundane literature as uh, not really serving its purpose, the purpose of literature. Then we have this famous verse, uh, Tadvag Visargo. 
that creation of speech, of literature, of words, Tadvagvisargo, Janataga uh, Viplavo, which Prabhupada translates uh, bringing about a revolution in the impious lives of the world's misdirected civilization. So, Janata uh, means the people in general. And Agha is sin, like Aghasura, the sin demon. So Janataga, the, the sins of the people, the people in general, the society. Uh, viplava. So this other literature will bring, and so the word Viplava, which is translated here revolutionary, originally comes from the root plu, which you will be probably surprised to know means to swim, you know, swim, to swim or float. And because it means plu, and of course the word plava comes from that. Uh, so because plava means swimming or, or uh, floating, it also means a boat, a boat or raft. Plava is a boat you use to float on the water and you know, get where you're going. And so viplava, uh, v can mean without, and so viplava means uh, sort of like you're shipwrecked. You, uh, you, you know, you're up the creek without, not only without a paddle, you're up the creek without a boat. And so if, you're, you know, if your ship turns over, you are in serious trouble. So therefore it also means to destroy something. So genitaga viplava literally means that it will destroy uh, the sins of society, of people in general. Genitaga viplava, that's the word viplava, uh, which is an interesting word. Uh, let's see, I'll give you from the Sanskrit dictionary the word viplava, genitaga viplava. So like I said, first of all, it means having no ship or boat, it means you're, and you're in the water, shipwreck. So therefore it means confusion from that, meaning that you're kind of, you know, you're, you're overboard, you're in the water, but you haven't got a, a boat. It can mean confusion, trouble, disaster, evil, calamity, misery, distress. And it can mean in that sense, revolt. So there's a positive and a negative sense of viplava. I mean, negative in the sense that it, it, it destroys something. It destroys the sins of people in general, genitaga viplava. Uh, but it also causes a revolution. Revolt means literally to revolve. So things come around to where they're supposed to be. That's the idea. So that's the famous revolution in the misguided life of the people. So genitaga viplavo. So what is that? other kind of what Prabhupada calls literary creation. Um, how do you identify it? How do you know you've got the, 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 right, the right book? And so the Bhagavatam says, yes, men, it is that book in which, yes, men, in which, prati slokam, in each verse, prati slokam means in each verse, abadhavatyapi, even if the book is abadhavat, Baddha means bound. Actually, the Sanskrit and English are very close. Bandha, which means binding. But also bandhu can mean a close friend. Someone's really tied to you. Bandhu, like Krishna's uh, 
Jagat Bandhu, is the name of Krishna. Uh, hey Krishna, Karnasindo, Dina Bandhu. Krishna Dina means wretched people. So Krishna's Dina Bandhu, the friend of the of miserable people. And, and in that sense, Bandhu, friend, means someone that, that's that's bound to you, that's tied to you. So Bandha means bound, bind, and then Baddha, bound. So here is talking about literature which is abadhavat. In other words, it has not been really tightly bound. That means here is actually something like in modern English. For example, if you are talking about a musical band, think of the word band also. If you're thinking about a musical band and then to say their music is very tight, which is a common expression, it means that they're really you know bound together. They're really hearing each other and they're, they're functioning as a single musical entity because they're really bound together. And so something like that in Sanskrit, abadha uh, in Sanskrit means literally not bound, not tight, not really together. That's another way we speak in English. We say that someone or something is not really together. And so in Sanskrit, uh, anyway, so that's abadha, not together, not bound. And here, of course, it's understood to mean it is abadha in the sense of the opposite of the other kind of literature. The other literature was called chitrapadam, you know, chitrapadam, colorful, beautiful language. Uh, the word chitra in Sanskrit, padam means words, excellent, distinguished, bright, clear, colorful, variegated, and so on. So all of that's chitra. So you have literature that is not Krishna conscious, but it's chitra, chitra padam, the words are chitra. And then you have um, a literature which, as we're going to see, prati shlokam, in every verse, namani and antasya, the names of the infinite, just show, uh, and the fame is ankitani, is marked, it's, it's distinguished. It really focuses on the names of the infinite and the glories of Ananta, the infinite one, the infinite God, his glory, his names. And so, Shinbanti, uh, and uh, so Sadavaha, which is a plural of sadhu, good people, Prabhupada translates it purified men who are honest. So sadhu can mean an honest person, a good person, a saintly person. So sadhava, good people, really good people. Grananti, shinvanti, they hear those words which glorify the Lord. Gayanti, they sing uh, that literature. And grananti, they really accept it because even though materially it is abadhavad, or even if materially it is abadhavad, not really together, doesn't follow all the rules of literature, but it glorifies Krishna throughout. And therefore they hear it, they sing it, and, and they, they accept it, they endorse it. So um, I'm sure you all know, you know what I'm saying because this, this after all is our philosophy. Uh, but I'd like to if I can go back to the first verse, I'd like to focus on one aspect, which is not 
often talked about. And that is, uh, actually, it's not the next verse. It's, it's one we just did. Sorry about that. Um, let's see, go back to the one we were on. Yes, Tadvang Visargo, the idea of a literary creation, a creation, Visarga. For example, the, the 10 major topics of the Bhagavatam, one is Visarga, which actually there's Sarga, which is creation, and Visarga, which is usually translated secondary creation. In other words, there's the original creation of the universe, but then within the universe, which is already created, there are further creations of different species of life or worlds or whatever. So if, if, if we go with that translation of Visarga, which is used often in our books, secondary creation, my argument here would be that we really need to create literature. And the reason is, this is a point I've made a number of times in different venues, that um, a literature can be pure and yet still historically situated. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Uh, it's, it's a sort of an academic term, historically situated means influenced by its historical situation, not existing in a vacuum. So, uh, for example, the way people think nowadays about political affairs or economic systems or about religion very much reflects the age we live in. People that lived at other times thought differently. And of course, every age thinks they're right and every other age is kind of stupid. But uh, we are influenced by history. And I mean, as far as the way people in general think nowadays about politics and all kinds of things, uh, I think it's a very, very safe bet that future generations will look back and think, they were really stupid. Of course, in some ways we get some, you know, some things are nice, but there's a lot of stupidity nowadays, I'm sure you've noticed. So uh, why do we have to create literature? We already have literature. Why is there a need, if we already, already have Sarga, we have Shastra, we have Prabhupada's books, why do we need Visarga? Why do we need a secondary or a subsequent creation? And I would say that because even though Shastras, and as presented by Prabhupada, have universal knowledge, in other words, they are books which will always be relevant, more than relevant, which will always be essential, which will always be central, central to those who most seriously want to practice spiritual life on this planet. And yet to get a wider audience to understand and appreciate we do need a secondary creation. We need to take the great gift we've received and somehow try to make it understandable to more people than at present can understand what we're doing or what our teachings are. And I could go into all kinds of details in terms of literary taste and just how the, um, the art of narration has changed. In other words, how do you tell a story? If you look 500 years ago, India, where you know what was considered to be a good story, and you find great acharyas telling stories about Krishna in ways that people at that time thought were fascinating, 
we know that nowadays, if you look, for example, at blockbuster movies, like what movies make over a billion dollars or hundreds of millions of dollars, what kind of storytelling is very popular now. And what you'll find throughout history is that people's taste changes. Thousands of years ago, people had a certain taste in, 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 in stories, like what's a great story? If you look at the Iliad and the Odyssey in the Greek world, or actually the Iliad and the Odyssey were very influential throughout the Roman Empire later. Or if you look at the Mahabharata, the, the art, the way stories are told, the way characters are described, and so on and so forth. Uh, I won't go, that would be a whole separate class or seminar, several classes, but uh, things have changed a lot. We still have universal knowledge and we still have stories that are for all ages. So we're not talking about which story to tell, we're talking about how do you tell the story literary art and so uh in my view i actually i'm quite sure about this if we want millions and millions and millions of people outside of india and outside the indian diaspora if we want huge numbers of people to fall in love with krishna and to accept Prabhupada and join us in trying to spiritualize this planet uh, there's a way to tell the same story. We're not changing the story. It's just the art. The art changes uh, in every generation. Not in every generation. I mean, some stories are popular still for you know, millennia, but still. So that's what I'm focusing on now. The secondary, the Vag Visargo, the secondary creation of literature, which I think is a great frontier the Hare Krishna movement. So anyway, uh, we did those two verses and uh, next Sunday, hopefully we'll all be here. Uh, having talked about literature, the Bhagavatam is going to give that same uh, opposition between the spiritual and the material in terms of knowledge in general knowledge in general that will be 1 5 12 hopefully next sunday so uh thank you all very much let me see very quickly if i can any questions here i missed your question sorry what is the mind uh that's explained in detail in the bhagavatam actually Third canto, the mind accepts and rejects things. And the intelligence tries to give criteria by which to accept and reject intelligently. Okay, so thank you very much. Thank you for listening.